got your Bibles, open up to Psalm 23. I'll be there in just a minute. Psalm 23. Since closing out 2022 and starting 2023 with a call for us to be people who live with clean hands and a pure heart. I've been unpacking the idea of perfecting holiness because it is an integral part of continuing to work out our salvation. 2 Corinthians 7, 1 calls each of us to purify, cleanse ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness, doing the work and living a consecrated life set apart for God's purpose out of reverence for God. Perfecting is a commitment to growth and development that is aimed at maturing the understanding and expression of our holiness. Now, sadly, when it comes to holiness, many times we think of it in terms of a religious, sterile, sometimes even a cold concept. But this holiness is personal. Once we've surrendered the control of our lives to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, this holiness is how God sees us and how he wants us to see ourselves. As holiness manifests in and through us, we're transformed from the inside out. As holiness manifests in and through us, we become people who love God and love people in ways that are relational and touchable, sensitive, and the real deal genuine. God wants holiness to be who we are. Who we are as a person. Who we are because we are a dwelling place where his holiness resides. And so thoroughly who we are that holiness gets repeatedly reflected in things that are revealed by our character and by, we have, and by how we show up in the world every day. And fortunately for us, uh, God hasn't left us to figure out perfecting holiness on our own. He's given us the Bible full of instruction and truth and example. He's given us the Holy Spirit to lead and guide and direct, to comfort, encourage, and correct. And God is still all in to shepherding us. But the question we have to keep answering is, are we willing to be shepherded? Are we willing to be shepherded? In the beginning, when God created male and female humans in his image, he gave every person free will choice. And in his wisdom and sovereignty, God established that he would honor those choices. He would never force us to love him or to obey him. Amen. Without exception, we're all created and invited to freely live in relationship and fellowship with God. And when we do that, by God's design, we come to recognize true freedom is only discovered when we choose to live in a daily submitted, not my will, but yours be done relationship with God. Amen. However, also by God's design, we can choose to act and live out our own, I'll do it my way and all by myself independence. And whenever we choose independence over remaining in an active, ongoing relationship with God, we are settling for less than God's best plan and future for our lives. God loves us too much to let us do that without any negative consequences. And as the disappointing repercussions of choosing independence play out, we're faced with another choice. Get bolder and more hardened in our independence or soften our hearts toward God and repent. Repentance and diligently softening our heart toward God are necessary open-ended choices and the perfecting holiness be shepherded process. But, but what about when we're doing all of that and life still goes south on us? And what about when we're doing all of that and hard, harsh things still happen to us or to people that we love and care for? 
Well, Jesus clearly and unapologetically taught that in this world we will all face trouble. Trying, testing times are part of life on the planet. So perseverance is a trait that we all need to keep developing. Cultivating perseverance is an invaluable part of the perfecting holiness process. And beyond that, James 1 says, perseverance must finish its work so that we may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Toby Mack is a a Christian artist, and uh, he's been through some stuff in the last few years. Had a son that... uh, killed himself, I believe, and died, and, and yet he's continued to be out there, and he's continuing to write, and he's got a new album that's out that came out of the hurt and the pain of that experience, and uh, one of the songs that he wrote, it's on the radio right now, is called The Goodness, and it adds some perspective to this whole idea of perseverance, no matter what. He said, you made the rain, so when it falls on me, should I complain or feel you calling me? It's all on me to stay and really catch what you're showing. It's my roots that you're growing because life is more than this moment. That's how it starts. Here's how it ends. Through the good and the bad and the ugly, I can still see the sunshine above me. Lord, I love all the ways that you love me. You're the good. You're the good. You're the goodness in my life. Psalm 23, it's an obvious text for a better understanding of some of the dynamics of being shepherded. Ironically, Psalm 23 is often a funeral service text. Uh, And although it does contain beautiful words and ideas infused with God's comfort, this psalm is about living. This song is really about living. In Psalm 23, we're invited to lay down our quote-unquote rights, to set aside our agenda, and rather than living each day based on the expectations of what life owes us, we're called to embrace a lifestyle saturated with expectancy and hope, an experiential lifestyle of trusting God. Recently, our daughter Faith uh, wrote a piece that she called Falling Slowly. It's always a trust fall. It's what you ask of Abraham, Moses, and Mary. It's what you ask of me, to trust and follow you wholeheartedly. Your arms are strong enough to catch me, catch my whole life in your story, and you do not deceive Your promises are full. They are not empty. So I will look you in your honest face. Ask to touch your scarred and resurrected body. And trust that the breath, life, and comfort uh, you give will catch me as I fall face first like a child learning to walk. And I will speak with my mouth that even if you don't catch me as I think you should, you're still God. And you're still good. So true. Psalm 23, verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Now, it does not say in any translation of the Bible, the Lord is my shepherd, so I get everything I want, when and how I want it. It doesn't say that in any of them. Not in any of the modern ones, not in the old ones. That's not what it says. No, the revelation here is that when we live with the Lord as our shepherd, and as we draw our life from God himself, we'll be recipients of God's more than enough provision and care. Living shepherded by the Lord positions us to receive all that we need. I shall not be in want, or the King James is the way most of us learn this, I shall not want, is cast in a much clearer light in Hebrew where it's better understood as, I shall not lack, I shall not fail, 
I shall not lessen. I shall not decrease. I shall not lack. I shall not fail. I shall not lessen. I shall not decrease. Each of these ideas work together to form a faith foundation we can embrace as our expectancy when we choose to live in harmony and agreement with the Lord is my shepherd. At first blush, he makes me lie down. Sounds kind of heavy handed. But in addition to the fact that he's lying us down in green pastures, this is another one of those translation misses. More accurately, this, this should be translated this way. He makes a resting place for me to lie down in green pastures. God's not a taskmaster. He's not, <coughs> not a crack the whip shepherd. Instead, he loves us perfectly. And his perfect love actually searches out and drives fear out of our lives. But we still have to choose to respond to him and respond to his love. And we still have to choose to lie down. Lie down can mean a few different things in Hebrew. It can mean to recline, which is a kind of a leaning back posture of rest. It can mean to repose, which can actually be uh, a description of being so at rest that we fall asleep. It can even mean to crouch, which, which can mean stooping or bending in a posture of humility, but it can also be getting ready to pounce on something. It can mean any of that. So think about this. When we're being shepherded and we arrive in the green pastures that God has prepared for us, we've arrived at a place where he is reposing and repositioning us for refreshing or rest and maybe he's even putting us in a very fertile place that will get us ready to spring forth into something new. So here's my recommendation. When the Lord leads you to green pastures, just go ahead and lie down. Just go ahead and lie down. He leads me. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness. In a bevy of brilliant and creative ways, God keeps wooing us into his flow. The being shepherded part of that is our willingness to be led by and even led into the river that flows from the throne of God. Rather than just going our own way and going in a way that seems best to us, we can willfully surrender to God. And as we do that, God heals, rebuilds, and revives the desires and the affections of our will. And he teaches us how to properly handle, manage, and process our emotions in real time and in the midst of real life situations. Now, paths of righteousness, they are not a walk in the park. They very rarely are the easy way, and they're certainly not the path of least resistance. And because of that, some people get sideways with God along the way, and they judge him wrongly. However, when we're being shepherded, as we walk through and overcome the many challenges of this life, God restores our soul on a journey of dialogue and discovery as he guides us on paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And as we make our way along the righteous path God has marked out for us, there's no doubt we greatly benefit from every bit of on-the-job training and learning as we go that comes with living yoked with Jesus and being led by the Holy Spirit. And the rewards for making those continuing choices not only are a blessing in our life right now, but those rewards keep rippling on into eternity. But oh, the joy of getting to live now in such a way that we Bring honor and glory to God's name. 
And with that in mind, a very helpful thing to do throughout the perfecting holiness process is keep the idea of for his name's sake, for his name's sake, front and center in our thoughts and in our actions. Verse four, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The valley of the shadow of death can be our own physical struggle with death. It can also be part of grieving when a loved one passes away. It can even relate to death of a vision. For me, the key thought here is walk through. Keep moving. Walk through the valley. Walk through the shadowy times. Walk through with the one who is the shepherd and overseer of our soul. Walk through with him until we come out the other side. God loves us enough that if we stop moving or get stuck, He'll use his rod and staff to comfort us. In David's day, shepherds used their rod and staff to protect the sheep from predators, but also to reprimand unruly sheep. Proverbs 3, 11 and 12 says, Do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father of the children he delights in. And Hebrews 12, 10 and 11 says, God disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. However, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Discipline, correction, and training are all part of perfecting holiness. Discipline, correcting, and training are all part of perfecting holiness. Take a quick, quick glance into your life right now and things that are going on in your life. And if you don't have some measure of discipline, correction, or training taking place in your life right now, I'm going to suggest to you that maybe you've left the path and you need to come back. Because part of the perfecting holiness, those things are ongoing. God is doing those things in our life. He loves us enough to keep engaging us in all of those ways. We can learn our lessons quickly and compliantly. I just bless all y'all who do that. I'm one of those guys that tends to learn it the hard way. I mean, doggone it. I could learn it just the first time through, but it seems like so many times it takes me two or three, sometimes five times before I get it, before I get it right. But the, the, the process is he stays with us. He stays with us. He doesn't give up on us. He keeps working on us. I think it blesses his heart to no end when we quickly and compliantly uh, respond to the things that he's doing in our lives. But uh, he's up for the challenge when we are being hard, uh, hard at it and not catching it uh, and not pursuing him in the way that we should. Count on it. When we're being shepherded, we will become familiar with the comfort of God's rod and staff. He may use them to effectively block us from going the wrong way or to help steer us in the right direction. Sometimes he uses them to catch us up or to separate us out when we need special attention. And interestingly, this Hebrew word for comfort, it can mean to console, but I love a deeper definition of it. It means to breathe strongly upon, to breathe strongly upon. And all throughout the perfecting holiness process, many times God will tangibly demonstrate to us that he is closer than our breath by breathing on us. You remember uh, on the day that Jesus rose from the grave, uh, that evening, he, the disciples were hiding and afraid and in uh, locked doors in the upper room. And Jesus walked through the wall 
and showed up and spoke to them. And one of the things he said to them is, uh, he spoke peace to them. And then it says, and he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Listen, he still does that today. In the perfecting holiness process, he'll show up in the middle of our lives when you're least expectant and go, receive the Holy Spirit. And when that happens, we, our body responds. Some, sometimes all of a sudden it's just tears start running down your face. It's not, it's not like the boohoo crying. It's just like, I don't know why I'm crying right now. It's just, just the sweetness of the moment. I can't stop crying. Cindy, Cindy and I uh, lived in the Philippines for a couple of years, worked in a refugee camp over there. And, and man, we went through some stuff while we were there. And we came back to the States and uh, got back in our home church in Fort Worth. I think the first month or so that we were there just sitting in worship services like this, we, didn't, we just couldn't do anything but cry the whole time. We weren't sad. We were so happy to be home. But it was just the presence of the Lord, the breath of the Lord breathing on us as we worship together uh, back, back in our church. Uh, sometimes when God goes, receive the Holy Spirit, it's like goosebumps all over you. You know, it can happen while you're watching TV or watching a movie or talking to somebody or just hearing something or you wake up in the middle of the night. There's no reason for you to have goosebumps. You're just like... Ooh, something just happened right there. there that, that's his presence. That's, that's him invading. Our, that's, that's him comforting us in places that we need to be comforted. Sometimes when he breathes on us, receive the Holy Spirit. It's like warmth or heat. All of a sudden you start feeling hot. Or, there's so many different ways. But what I know is this. When he, he still does that. And when he breathes on us today and says, receive the Holy Spirit, something physically happens. Don't just think, well, that was weird. Let's go, oh, wait, God's up to something. Yes, God, more, Lord, more, Lord. And one more thing here. I know that Jesus told a parable about a shepherd who owned 100 sheep, and he left the 99 to go find the lost one. And praise God, he really does have an overwhelming heart for lost sheep. But listen, don't be the one that wanders off. Let's not be that one. Let's not be that one. Don't, don't be the one that pulls away. Don't be the one that lets yourself get isolated for whatever justifying reason you use. Yes. Perfecting holiness involves a focused following of the shepherd without turning back. This morning, God heard us singing, I'm never going back. He said, okay, I'll take, you to, I'll take your word on that. I'll take your word on that. He heard that. And that's part of perfecting holiness, following the shepherd without turning back. But it also involves repeated choices to stay connected to the sheep. Stay connected to the body. Stay connected to other people. Don't get isolated. Don't get separated. Don't get, the enemy loves to separate. When he, when he separates you out by yourself, it's much easier to take you out. That's what, look, look at the way in nature predators work. They separate out the weak. And while the group is together, they are together. And even a predator is, is limited in what they can do. But when they get one to separate out, when one falls behind, when one falls off, then they're after that one. It still works that way. The enemy works that way. We all prosper in a fellowship with a community of believers for so many reasons. The friendships that we can develop and, uh, and have, the, the prayer covering that we get from each other. The kind, hands-on expressions of love and support in our times of need, or just because somebody thought of us. Listen, I want to just continue encouraging. I, I, I say this a lot of times in, uh, in different settings, funerals and different things like that, but let me just tell you this. It's the middle of your day, and all of a sudden, you start thinking about somebody. They just randomly in your mind. Pray for them. God has this incredible way of getting us the prayers we need when we don't ask for it. And, and so pray for them. And after you've prayed, if that person stays on your mind, 
Well, then text them or call them or write them a note. Do something. Do something more. If it doesn't lift after you prayed for them, do something more. Man, it's so crazy how it can work. I mean, you're having one of the hardest days of your life and you open your mail and there's a letter that somebody said, I've been praying for you, thinking about you, and God loves you. And it just can change everything. It's a simple thing. Or a text all of a sudden comes on the phone. Being engaged, following those promptings, it's what happens when we're part of a group of people. Hebrews 10 exhorts us not only to consider how we can spur one another on towards love and good deeds, but also to not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, and all the more so as we see the day approaching. We need to be together. And that calls us to practice some basic spiritual disciplines. Listen, I want to tell you that we need to be regularly in worship services together. This doesn't need to be, well, I got nothing else to do this weekend, so I guess I'll go to church. And if you've got little ones and you're living your life that way, you're teaching them church doesn't matter at all. And that next generation won't come as often as you do. But we need to be here. And listen, I want to say that it matters. It matters. We are carriers of the presence of God. And when we come into a room like this, every one of us brings something with us that adds to the mix. And when we're not here, there's something missing because we're not here. When we come into the room, you never know what's going to happen. It could be somebody that's got a word for you or somebody that you get a word for. It could be somebody you just greet or extend a kindness to that that just fills them up. There's so many different things that if you're not here, you don't experience. We, we're blessed to be able to podcast, to live stream the services. And after the end of the live stream, uh, the service finishes and then, there's, then I come up and, and in the live stream, I, I tell them this. I said, we just so hope you were blessed by what you experienced today watching this service. But whatever you got in your house is not as good as what you'd have got if you were in with the body of Christ. And we are so blessed to be together in what we get to do. And I want to just continue to encourage us. Let's make it a priority. Let's be here together. We need each other. We need the fellowship. We need what happens when we come together. But actually, we need even more than that. Because although you can get to know some people in a church service, and some, most, most people tend to sit in the same place every week. I, uh, I, notice, I notice all the y'all that move around some. And, uh, and I'll, a lot of times I'll go up and tell you, I see you shaking up the balance of power in the room. You're moving to another side. But, you know, uh, and some people are very extroverted. And no matter where they sit, they're going to know the people around them. And other people come in and sit in their seat and don't do anything but sing and leave, you know. So you can be in a room this big. You can be part of service every week. And you can still be pretty invisible. So I want to encourage you to do something more. Make the commitment to be here. Be part of what God does among us. There's a dynamic that happens among us every time we worship, Saturday night and Sunday. You can't repeat it anywhere else. It's amazing. Microwave grace a lot of times. And when we're worshiping here together, things happen in five or ten minutes that could take five or ten years. And if you're in the room, you get it. But it's so much more to even be known and to know other people at a different level. We have so many amazing people in the room. You look around the room, the stories in just in this room this morning, the story of God's redemption, the story of his life, the, the overcoming stories, the different things, the testimonies that people have. There is so much wisdom to be gained. There is no reason to repeat your neighbor's mistake. It, just get to know them and they'll tell you where they messed up and you can go a different direction than them. They'll encourage you in that path as we get to know each other. So I wanna encourage you, do something that helps you get known and helps you know other people. Maybe that's finding a place to serve. There's lots of different ways to serve around here, lots of different teams. Most of them work on a rotation schedule so it doesn't like consume your whole life. Get in a home group. 
Uh, get in one of the small groups we have. Get in one of the studies. Do something that engages you in the process of getting to know people and getting known by people. There are so many amazing people in this room. Uh, so I encourage you, get to know each other even more. Verse 5, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Did that say in the presence of my enemies? Listen, even when we're faithfully engaged in the process of perfecting holiness and being shepherded, we know from Jesus' example that none of us are immune from attacks of the enemy. I've heard it said that in the face of an attack, people do one of three things, fight, flight, or freeze. This verse gives us another option, feast. In Hebrew, this table is a prepared, arranged, spread out feast. And in the presence of our enemies, God invites us to come to that table. And it appears to me that God's plan includes requiring the enemy to watch us eat. Which I think, at least on one level, is a reminder of them of a day soon to come. The wedding feast of the Lamb after Jesus' return. And the Spirit and the bride say, come, Lord Jesus, come. You prepare a table before me. In the before me part of this verse is where we find the make or break application. Before me means turns the face to see. Turns the face to see. Far too many times when the enemy comes against us, he gets our full attention. And that can cause us to miss the alternative ending to that encounter that God has in mind for us. God will never let us be tempted beyond our ability to endure. And when the testing comes, he always provides a way for us to stand up under it. And one of those stand up under it ways happens as we take our eyes off the enemy. And man, he hates to be ignored. As we take our eyes off the enemy and we refocus on what God has already prepared for us. I think the enemy probably sees the table before we do. And so he ramps up his distractions and deceptions. But greater is he that is in us than he that's in the world. And Isaiah 54, 17 says, no weapon forged against you will prevail and you will refute every tongue that accuses you. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord and this is their vindication from me, declares the Lord. I also don't think this is a table prepared for one. Again, with a glance toward the wedding feast of the lamb, I think this prepared table is another invitation into the fellowship of community. Coming to this table is like sitting down for a family dinner. God knows better than we do the bonding and the camaraderie that takes place around a table and a shared meal. This prepared table draws us into the life that comes from being part of the family of God. And beyond having a seat at the table for us, God also anoints our head with oil. Throughout the Bible, anointing is an act of blessing. It's an overt act of setting apart. And this verse tells us that sometimes God even does that in the presence of our enemies. So many times we think about that being limited to like holy set aside times. And yes, God does that in those times. We were praying over Bryson and Rihanna this morning. We were setting them apart for just a mission they're going to make this Wednesday. It happens like that. But this verse tells us that sometimes right in the presence of the enemy, when it looks like I'm surrounded, I'm really surrounded by you. And he said, I'm setting this one apart for my glory. And consistent with his extravagant love for us, there's still more. Our cup overflows. And I think that revelation speaks to a blessing on the other side of the feast 
It goes beyond the moment and it invites us into a destiny to live favored and blessed by God as overcomers and more than conquerors. Verse six, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Will follow me means will run after me, will chase me down and will eventually overtake me. Surely goodness and mercy will run after me, will chase me down and will eventually overtake me. You can outrun the goodness and mercy of God. What an awesome God we serve. He's already given us everything we need for life and godliness. And in addition to that, he keeps sending more of his goodness and more of his mercy to overtake us and add into the mix as we go along the way, which is just one more incentive to keep choosing to dwell in the house of the Lord. Why would any person in their right mind choose to live anywhere else? when we can dwell in the house of the Lord. The Amplified states this as a firm resolution. And through the length of days, the house of the Lord and his presence shall be my dwelling place. Rather than just having a touch and go encounter with God, rather than just crying out to him when we're overwhelmed, the essence of being shepherded is about making willful choices to stay close to and in relationship with our shepherd day in and day out. Remember, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. They will listen to my voice. Another time, Jesus said, if you abide with me and I with you, you'll bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it'll be given to you. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I've obeyed my father's command and remain in his love. We cannot underestimate the value or overestimate the value of knowing and recognizing God's voice. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And our hearing needs to be matched with our obedience. And the quicker we obey, the better. And in the perfecting holiness process, another important part I just want to touch on related to being shepherding is being in season through all the days of our lives. Different things happen in the winter, spring, summer, and fall. In the natural, one season happens at a time. But in the spiritual realm, most of the time, all four seasons are happening simultaneously inside of us. Too many times we get bogged down and discouraged by what's not happening. Let me suggest to you that what's not happening might be in winter. And you can, you can speak to every one of the trees that we pass on the way out of here today and tell them, have leaves, have leaves, have leaves. You're not, there's leaves not coming out on those trees for a little while still. You, you can tell your grass to get green. It's not going to get green right now. It's winter time. That's, just, that's, that's what goes with it. But a lot of times the things that aren't working, aren't happening, like we, think, we get focused on that. Listen, just let that rest. Let that be in winter. Spring's coming soon enough, but let that be in winter. Look around, expand your vision, and find the new things that are starting to happen, the things that are spring-like. Find the things that are just the long, fun, beautiful days of summer. Engaging. Find the things that are needing to be harvested, and it's time to take the next step and make those things happen rather than just watch them grow. Find those things. Engage in those things all the days of our lives rather than just getting discouraged because something's happening in winter in our life. Perfecting holiness, be shepherded. It means willfully surrendering the control of our lives to the Lordship of Jesus and the leading of the Holy Spirit. Those are both ongoing decisions that challenge the folly of our independent free will. 
And both are also ongoing choices that become more instinctive when we're rooted and established in an experiential relationship with God in which we know that we know that we know that we are perfectly loved. Let me finish with one more post the Lord gave our daughter Faith. It's called Surrender. The old and new of things, the hope and fear of release. How rare are peaceful transfers of power over the tenderest territories of our hearts. How rare and how beautiful when we can earnestly give up control and trust the one who made us. Let's stand together. Oh, Lord, thank you. Lord, we thank you that you are our shepherd and we can give up the false sense of control and just surrender and follow you. And we can walk with you and you will walk with us and you will lead and you will guide and you will direct us and you'll discipline and train and correct us. You'll never give up on us. Your love will keep pouring into us. You'll keep setting us apart. You keep anointing our head with oil. You, keep, you, you see us in the future, and we look much better than we look right now, and you keep dealing with us and calling us into that place. We thank you that you are a patient and persistent God. Yes, yes. And we thank you, Lord, for the faithfulness that you've demonstrated to us and in our lives. Lord, help us, help us, help us be more willing to be shepherded. Help us be those that are quickly compliant. Just the look from your eye catches our eye. The, the, for your name's sake, that idea resonating in us. Thank you that we are part of the sheep of your pasture. Thank you, Lord, that you've called us and claimed us individually by name for the plans and the purposes you have for us. If we will just stay the process and work with you as you work with us. We thank you, Lord, for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Thank you, Lord.